Welcome to episode 476 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 476 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? I'm good, and you? I'm fantastic, Newsom. Got over that uh, little shock I gave you on Saturday morning? Oh, I got like 10 shocks. You keep, we, we were playing tag, weren't we? Yeah. Was, we're setting up the course, Newsom and, and the Philinator. We're out running Saturday morning. It's pitch black, you know, it's 6 o'clock. What time do you leave? We leave at 6. Okay. Start yeah. at 6. And so I sit, we're running alongside the river and I see... Somebody with their lights out in front, just on the side of the road. I thought that would be Bevan and Joe sitting out their run yep, course. Correct. So I ran up and we said, good morning. And then you took off and then we caught you up and I whacked the back of the car when I was coming past yep. and gave you a little shock. It was so strong, I thought I'd been hit by another car, John. You're, you're that powerful. I should have just jumped in the back seat. That would have been pretty funny. Just opened the door and jumped in the back seat. Yeah, and I would have driven off from Phil. <laughs> it's a, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's um, yeah, 6.15 in the morning and... And Bevan's in the car making his poor lady outside. It's freezing. The, it's absolutely freezing. Bevan's just sitting in there with the heater on. Poor old Joe's out there. And um, we're also just outside, you know, it's a residential area. Bevan just starts honking his horn. No regard for people's sleep whatsoever. Uh, you know, first of all, Joe sets up the course, I pack it up. Right. So on the way out, because she, she's the one who designs what we're going to do for the courses. And she's a bit more detailed than I, mm-hmm. so she sets up the course, so she does the morning, but on the way out, after the run, I'm the guy who's picking up the cones, yeah, okay? Nice so I do my bit. And it's nice and sunny and warm. Yeah, I, admittedly, the timing does seem to be kind of favourable to me. And then second of all, I saw a friend, I was excited. <laughs> I wanted to give encouragement to a friend yeah. out there who was looked like they were running pretty hard. Good. Yeah, was yeah. banging out two by five k. Yeah, when I saw you, when I saw you, the last point where you're getting close to the library, you didn't see me there because I was on the other side of the road. Your boys mm-hmm. were smacking it out. I thought, yeah. yep. Well, I wanted to give you another honk, but I yeah. thought, no, don't want to wake neighbours. Good. I talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patron. Okay, let's name a few of those guys. Steve, the freaky son of a gun, Chamberlain Ward. Freaky son of a gun. Uh, we got Lawrence Howe. He is the Phantom. Alan, I'm Palm, Culpers Chan. Nice. Culpers w- Chan. Yep. And he's Iron Palm. And then we've got Alistair Nocton, and it's KO. And Aaron, the Tornado Torelio. I'm pretty proud of our nicknames, John. Those ones are good ones yeah, this week. We've got some good ones, haven't we? Okay, guys, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a statistic you brought out early. Normally yes. leave that till later in the show. Right, that's good. Bringing out website of the week. We haven't done that mm-hmm. in a long time. I know. It's been a long time mm-hmm. since we've done a website mm-hmm. of the week. Uh, we're going to interview who we got on. We've got Bob Sebahar, and we're going to be talking about nutrition for young triathletes. Oh, it's nice. going to be just so, you young know, as, in, as in kids. So, like what, what's a kid? Well, I'd say anything from five to 19. Well, oh, okay. There's so, young. just sort of saying if you've got kids or if you're a coach um, how you should be dealing with it differently and and I think it's just a I don't know I think it's an interesting topic even if you don't have kids so you're not involved with kids okay Jumbo. well let's start with some news so first of all the news this weekend it's a big one this one hi man maybe being sold we love gossip this the is gossip purely gossip at this crazy, stage crazy Jumbo. 
there was an article on the South China Morning Post that good old Zania Morrison sent through to me, and then it really quickly. She, that's her favourite newspaper. Yeah, <laughs> she quickly started doing the. Uh, no, this, uh, this article quickly started doing the rounds on Facebook and what have you. So, yeah, apparently, I think that's been fairly common knowledge that Providence Equity, the company that owns uh, WTC, have been looking for a buyer for quite some time, and now the rumour is that potentially the richest man in China might be interested in purchasing it. So it'll be really interesting to see where that goes. And when we posted on Facebook, yeah, there was some interesting feedback there, and, and I think there's been other interesting feedback, especially in the American market. You know, people going, "No one, goddamn Chinese buying our yeah, company." Like, is it racism? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to a degree, but also wanting to keep it, um, you know. As, as an American company um, and not letting it go offshore. It's funny one there, isn't it? Because you know, it's, just a, it's just an investment. It's an investment. Oh, like yeah, probably, well, who, like, who knows who owns it? I mean, Providence Equity is the company that owns it, but then everybody owns their equity. could be from anywhere. They could be Chinese, yeah. they could be Indian, they could be Kiwis, they could be anywhere. So I think it's, um, it's really interesting to see where this goes because – yeah, by and large, Ironman are doing a really good job in terms of looking after their customers, which is, yeah, you know, Joe Bloggs going out, the age groupers, middle of the packers, that's that's where they're a big part of their audiences and that's where they make their money. And they're doing a good job of that. They're putting on more races and they put on good races. But, you know, where I think they're missing a beat is in terms of what they can be doing for the professionals. And, and I think they could be doing a lot more. And if there's a different owner, maybe they'll take a slightly different direction on that if they invest some more money into it, saying, you know, of course, we're always going to get growth from the sport by putting on more events and trying to get more customers, and that's just going to be a nice growth area. But where I think they're missing out on potential big growth is um, is just getting this event publicised a bit more into the mainstream media, uh, and that's when you can all of a sudden start selling it to you know the TV rights and stuff. And I know it's not as easy as just going boom like yeah, because that. I'm sure they're trying. I'm sure they are trying, but are they trying hard enough? Well, because like when we think of our early interviews of Messick on the show. When he came in, it was like, we need to make this big city races, we need to get exposure mm. to the public. So obviously they put a lot of attention on it. I think the challenge is, is the sport is a really hard sell to the mainstream media. Mm. You know, like like New Zealand is an example where it goes really well. Like in New mm. Zealand, pretty much general public, most of them know Ironman and most of them will know like the Cameron Browns and Joe Lawn. Maybe not anyone in Ironman. Trenzo, I know people know Trenzo. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how... Much Gina's exposure would be in New Zealand. It'd be pretty big, pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, New Zealand's not as is, is, is a t- yeah. tiny, different environment compared to the UK. But how do you compete with the three big American sports in America? It's the thing you got to get that razzmatazz. You got to. I don't know. I don't, don't have the answers, but I just think it's interesting to see if someone with big money came in and thought. Do we just carry on business as usual and just try to keep getting that growth through adding more events through you know, Asia Pacific and stuff where there's, there's, it's a new market? Or are we really going to try to do something different here and try to come up with this amazing TV show and see if they can, they can get some more profile for our pros, putting on these big money races and go, we're going to invest in these pros to see if we can get some mainstream coverage and actually make this a bit of a TV package. Well, the um, Dalian Wonder Group is the one that's, that is, you know, allegedly trying to buy it. Apparently, it's the, the price is about $850 million to buy Iron mm-hmm. WTC. Um, they turn over $50 million a year. It'd be interesting to see what kind of return you'd want on that investment. You know, like these guys, you know, who are worth billions, 
they're probably not going to be happy with a 2 or 3% return. So what return, what level of return, mm. and how do they see projections of the future that actually determine that $850 million would be a good investment? Like, mm. you know, like, how does Ironman prove, WTC, that their future growth is going to give the, you know, the kind of res- returns these people want? Whoever takes over can't see entry fees going down anytime soon. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, in- interesting times. It was... It seems to be, at least if this is true or not, there does seem to be a few rumours around the fact that it's being sold because, you know, there's that rumour a while ago about the, the Saudi prince buying mm. it. Um, there's been rumours about, is it Lifetime Fitness buying it? Yep. So there's been all these different rumours. Um, it does seem that maybe it is on the on There's the a good article on slowtwitch.com by Dan Enfield sort of explaining how a lot of these companies are all intertwined and, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, there's these sports management companies and some of them are owned by this Chinese guy as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's interesting times ahead. Okay, Jonbo, uh, Canada 250 Ultraman. I think the first interesting thing for me here is, so that was on the result, last it? weekend. Is yeah, the, the result is, is interesting. We'll go into that. But also, I'm pretty sure, and please email in if I'm incorrect here, but so this event now is called the Ultra 520 Canada, which I'm assuming is the same event that used to be uh, Ultraman Canada. Well, if so you go to the front page, mm-hmm. it's got a picture of Ultraman Canada. Mm. So why stuff. the change, I wonder, to Ultra 520K? So do we from think, Ultraman. So is it just purely a, a separation of the brand, or yeah. is it that they're changing the brand name? Anybody who knows anything, I could. I had a quick look around, couldn't seem to find anything. Um, but I'd be interested to know what's sort of going on in that Ultraman world, and whether there has been a separation, uh, and whether these guys are trying to go go on their own, or what what the sort of deal is. So let us know. But probably the most interesting thing on this for me is so we had a female winner overall. Oh wow, Kate Bevilacqua. Oh yeah, we took it athlete. out. Very good athlete, you know, she's a professional athlete, so you'd expect her to be competitive, but she went out there and not only beat the boys, but she spanked the boys by about 30, nearly 30 minutes. Her total time ended up being 24 hours and 16 minutes and 27 seconds, so on day one, she crushed everybody in the swim. She swam at 2 hours 37, the next quickest time that I can see there is 2 hours 51. The next day she went out uh, and did the, they do, a, they do a bike after the swim and she was pretty competitive there. Day one total was 7 hours 26 versus, uh, so she had about a, a good 10 minute sort of lead there and then on day two she just kept the pressure on, just Crushed it by about a good 30 minutes. But she finished 24-16. Second place was Juan Arroya in 24-42. And third place was Dustin Gilbert in 24-55. So nice work, Kate. Yeah, far out. I'm, just, I'm on the Facebook page just trying to see if there was a moment on Facebook where it changed from being Ultraman to Ultra. Pretty sure this is the first year. Again, that's not a statistic fact, but I'm pretty sure this is the first year it hasn't been Ultraman. Oh, there you go. Well, we're in March 2015, we are moving our Facebook page to reflect our new title of Ultra 520K. The Ultra 515 Canada and Ultra 520K will merge according to Facebook in 14 days. Oh, there you go. So, oh, wait a second. Okay. I've got the press release. Okay. Oh, maybe. Oh, see, you're a better researcher than me. We should switch roles. See, I'll do all the technical uh, stuff. Bugger off. And you can... Uh, <laughs> I think I think we've, our roles work well. <laughs> okay. Uh, Steve He's Brown, owner bad. and director of Ultra, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this change has came due to some issues in the registration of the previous name and logo, as there are a couple of objections from companies that predictably... 
uh, and the need uh, for them to make these changes, explained Brown. We actually viewed this as potential for some positive changes that would separate us from other events with similar formats. First and foremost, the idea was of changing the distance and therefore with the name differentiating ourselves from the 515 events with whom have no formal affiliation. So, um, yeah, uh, so oh, something happened. It isn't really, it's just a PRP. So, but obviously, mm. so I'm not sure if there is an affiliation with the other Ultraman races or not. It sounds like mm. not. Mm. So, very good. Okay. Um, coming up this weekend, it's a race that I get excited about every year Embram Man. Yep. Awesome race. We often, Last week we had Norseman, um, and I know a lot of you you're, uh, you get excited about that and you think it's a race you'd like to go and do. For me, if I was going to go and do one of these really hard races, Ember Man is the one that I'd want to go do. It's uh, I've been there for the, done the Olympic distance race, but it's just, it's in France, you go over the Col d'Azard, it's just an amazing, tough bike course you're in a nice hot climate as opposed to Norseman which could potentially be cold and I like the fact that you're actually doing a run rather than doing a, a hike up a mountain I get the appeal of that but Embra Man is one that I'd love to go and do and the cool thing that I love about it as well is still massive prize money you, you don't often get a really big um, field 125,000 euros in prize money so it's on par with say you know the, the 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 championship races that we have these days in terms of the regional championships. Um, the other cool thing, that I think, if you're looking for a different experience, when you go to um, somewhere like this race in France, it's not that generic WTC um, experience that you're going to get. It's not all McDonald's. Yeah. You're going in, and it is a bit of adventure. You know, you're going in and you. you but not in a bad way. Not, not like a bad it's Mickey way. Mouse. It's no, just not at all. But. It's, everything's in French and you're just going what the hell I don't know what the hell's going on here <laughs> and it's just different and it is sort of maybe going back to your roots a little bit in terms of having a bit of an adventure I mean we only did the Olympic distance race but it's the same thing we hadn't gone and ridden the bike course and we're just like I don't know what the hell's going on we just get in Follow and the just go, go and do it just don't be in the lead no be in the lead but they also it's now has a really week long sort of series of events and they also have the French Grand Prix racing there and the French Grand Prix is pretty much as close as you're going to get to the ITU World Triathlon Series you have the Brownies racing you have Gomez racing oh, really? it's short it's sharp and so just go and to be able to go and watch that would be make it a really cool week last year you had Marcel Zamora take it out from Todd Skipworth and Hervé Foire um, on the guys side of things and then on the girls side of things mm, I'd, have to have a, I'd have to have a bit of a scroll through and find that cool cool race uh, so we'll check that out and have the results next week um, and I'm going to go through how tough that bike course is a little bit later in the show in Statistastic ok uh, Mount Treblanc and Sweden we have yep got those races coming up as well and in terms of the fields I've got to say, a couple of people did email me through after my rants saying you can't find the pro fields anywhere on WTC. Yeah, I, know, I know you can, and I know where you go, but you've got to bloody spend a little while searching through. It's not obvious. Yeah. Um, but So I always just go to tryrating.com. Torsten's always got good up-to-date information. It's Mont-Tremblant last year. We had uh, TJ Tonkson take it out and Sarah Gross. Uh, and then this year, lining up, got Jordan Rapp. Haven't heard much from no. him for quite some time. I know he had a bad race somewhere. There was a period of time where Jordan Rapp was really all the talk for a bit, wasn't there? You know, like going into Kona, was it a couple of years ago? And, and he was looking really sharp and um, mm. and like a real, 
a threat at least, you know, a player in a way. And he kind of didn't perform that year. Mm. And since then, we haven't seen a lot of them, have we? No, I think it was. I think he won Ironman Texas or yeah, one of those races. Yeah, great and race, really good race, and backed that up with I think maybe an Arizona that was really strong. So great, great athlete. Um, he's predicted to win on Torsten's ratings, uh, eight nineteen. A man that he's going to have to deal with there is Lionel Sanders, who is a fantastic 70.3 athlete and remembering back to Ironman Florida last year he really just crushed it a weak swimmer so gonna usually going to struggle a bit in the swim but uh, he can absolutely tear it up on the run course You've got Justin Deere Paul Ambrose and a bunch of others racing so should be good times on the girls side Mary Beth Ellis and Liz Blatchford racing. I don't know if Mary Beth is going to... We'll be on the start line, eh? Because we've seen her name like every week lately, haven't we? She she won ITU Long Distance Worlds. Uh, I was on the trainer a couple of days ago and watched Ironman Switzerland and saw her explode. Oh, really? Did she still get second? She still got second, but she had like a gigantic lead coming off the bike. So she's predicted to win. Liz Liz Blatchford is down to race along with Elizabeth Lyles at this time of the year. And I think Torsten said on his uh, site somewhere, you know, so a lot of these athletes are listed in two different races on the same weekend. So we'll see who rocks up. It is a $100,000 race at Montreux Blanc. They've got 2,000 points up for grabs. And there will be a few people, you know, clambering for those last few Kona slots potentially. And then if we look over at Sweden, last year we had Horst Reichel take it out in 8.13 and Leander Cave, Cave, 8.56. This year, yeah, not this. uh, Interesting, we've got Dougal Allen, who's seeded number two. He's a Kiwi guy. Yeah, he did Challenge Wanaka. He got second in Challenge Wanaka. Mm. And he's a guy, terrible swimmer. Relatively speaking, to pros, you know, his predicted time in the swim. 103. 103. But then bikes are 419. Yeah, he's a machine on the bike. Patrick Nielsen's there. And Uh, a good runner. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. good steady runner. I wouldn't say two fifty ones. Yeah, d- decent. Yeah, and then girls' side things. Erica Chomore is the main woman to watch there, and then also lots of um, other races. Other races coming up on, in terms of non Ironman races, and some of them include. Wait for it. Wait. Wait, wait for it. Bevan's inter- internet is coming. It's coming. It's coming. That's what I always tell Joe. <laughs> so you obviously got Ember Man, you got Midnight Man, and the, and the guys at Midnight Man, so they they have a bit of a, a claim challenge. Say that the Challenge Bahrain is going to be the first you know night race, but Midnight Man is actually a race that goes all the way through the night, and you do sort of laps on this uh, on this little dual carriageway somewhere in the UK in Dartford. It's Waconia. Do you U- think logistically it'd be easier to plan a night race? Because traffic management's got to be a lot easier, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, that's what they, they just do laps on this um, dual carriageway. Yeah. So, pretty pretty easy. Not probably the most exciting thing to no, do. No, 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 not a lap course, but yeah. you just kind of think, you know, one of the biggest problems of racing a race is stopping the traffic. Yeah. Whereas at nighttime, it's going to be less traffic, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool when you run through areas when there's everybody's out drinking and stuff. I remember at Challenge Wanaka, we they used to have a, a, a sprint distance race on the Friday night, yeah, yeah. and I did that a couple of times, and it's cool. Everybody's out in the bars, and you're running past them, and you have really good crowd but interaction. But you do a race, at, like, it needs to be a warm place, that's the key. You don't mm. want to do it in a place that's cold. Mm. Well, maybe you do because there's a challenge, but it'd be beautiful to do it in a beautiful place where... You kind of go into a city and maybe you do that aspect of it as well, but then you also bike out of town and you're kind of just in that dark. You know when you go to places where it's really dark and the stars are just amazing because mm. it's so much darker, there's no light pollution? Like, that would be an amazing experience. Yeah. Got and then you're kind of, you know, coming in for your run and the sun's rising, you know, like it'd be yeah. pretty beautiful. Can't imagine you get big crowds between uh, no, nine and no, six. No, no. Uh, you've got the UK Ultimate, you've got, uh, and you've got uh, Peasant Man, 
and Trifon Estonia, the Immortal. You poms, they love their, their tough names. They've got oh, the, yeah, the Immortal, the Brutal, the Immortal, the UK Ultimate. That's right. The, uh, yeah, so. the Ultimate. Good time. Lots of racing going on. Okay, Jumbo, we've got um, we've got a we've been doing our book, our go, race guide. It's coming along. It's coming along pretty well. Yeah, we just we need feedback on on some more races, especially some of those slightly more far flung races. You know, I think we've got most a lot of no, we haven't got a lot of the American races. Pretty much all races. Keep keep <laughs> going. Up. We've got we've got a lot of races covered, but we want to have a couple of people's opinions. Yeah. Um. So especially some of the European races, we need a bit. How more long will it take you to do? Uh, we're getting there. Tony, Tony Hodge. Is no, no, our, no. As in, if I'm going to go and report on a race on the website, it's going to take me what? Oh, five, five, ten minutes. Okay. So if you've just go to the website, if you've done a race in the last two years, go on the website, www.imtalk.me. It's all very obvious where you go and you submit a race report. Yep. Go through that. And Tony Hodge is doing great work and John's patting her on the back. I'm doing a bit of work as well. Yep, How much? Doing, Tony's doing that. I'm, I'm collecting the data. Tony's great. And uh, yeah, so check, check, check it out. Bahrain. The night course. They've announced their so they've announced their course for Challenge Bahrain. It's going to be quite different to last year. Remember last year you ran through the the animal park or whatever yeah. it was. Um, so the zoo, the zoo. Yeah, <laughs> they moved they moved the race out. Now it's you know if you picture Bahrain and stuff in, in, in that Middle East, you've often got those little island areas. So you're running around sort of the sandy island areas, um, Tala Island. So it doesn't look like there's going to be the F1 track either on the run. I okay. know you finished. Last year, I think you finished on the F1 track. So we'll be interested to see. They haven't come out with a bike course yet. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Given the races, what is it in? November, December? You kind of would have thought they might have the courses sorted out by now. I think there's a lot of politics going on in these races in Bahrain. A lot of politics going well, on. Which brings up, a, we, there's a letter that um, website birthbh.org have sent out. And it's basically... Uh, pretty pretty full on letter. So the Americans for Democracy and Human Rights in Bahrain, which the A D H R B, have put this letter out there to kind of point the finger at the thirteen athletes in the endurance team and it's just an open um, letter to the Bahrain thirteen endurance team. Yeah, and, and really what it's saying is that um, do you really understand what's happening in Bahrain? Um, and the, some of the people who are supporting you, do you know what they've been implicated in? And should you be supporting that? And do you, you know, maybe you should be a bit more open-minded about what's happening? And there's also an aspect of it that's saying the reason it's been called the Bahrain 13 is to kind of almost put the attention off some big problems that have happened in Bahrain. Mm. Um, pretty interesting. It is. It's, it's just tricky to, to wear politics and sport yeah collide and so because in yeah. some ways you go well <clears throat> far out triathletes it's a poor poor man's game um and if pros can get money from anywhere it's good but then if you go well if there's an aspect of it that comes from human mm. human rights violation where where is that line mm. and uh this this letter is pretty kind of full-on pretty um, i'll put a link to it on www.imtalk.me and you can read it and you can see it. and obviously what they're trying to do is to put pressure on these pros to say actually no i should turn down this mm. This financial opportunity that I get. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff. Right. This week, our discussion of the week. Okay. So, it's, we're, we're virtually a year from the Olympics, aren't we? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Basically, in, the, in early August in one year's time. Bring on. Lots of test out. events going on there. We had the triathlon last week, but I think just in general across a lot of sports, there's a lot going on there at the moment and trying to test their facilities, test. Uh, Obviously, the water quality sounds pretty dodgy, but yeah, there's a lot going on over there at the moment. So, who's going to take out those medals next year? Well, Jombo, it's a it's a question that I don't have much help help on because, at the end of the day, I don't really follow ITU. Oh, it's but fantastic. I'll give an opinion. 
Yes. Because that's how I roll in a knife. But let's start with what people think. Arno Sulikov thinks it's hard not to think of Gwen Jorgensen taking it out. He's going for Spirig uh, to come back. Uh, never dismiss a previous champ. And Vicky Holland. On the guys, he's got Vincent Louis, Gomez and Alistair Brownlee. Okay, well, including Newport's water. got a different approach. I think all the athletes will DNF with the shits in the water. <laughs> so, <laughs> Tony uh, Hodge. clips on the run. Tony Hodge backs that up. I predict the cancellation of the race because they won't be able to guarantee the safety of the water. As I said last week, um, they seem to think where the triathlon is held is the water is pretty good quality, I think. Okay. Some of the other facilities, you know, like the rowing and the, the yachting, that sounds a bit more dodgy, but the, the swim on the Coco Cabana sounds like it might be okay. Cabana. No. Tom Morwood, he's got uh, male Alistair Brownlee, Gold, uh, sorry, Silver Gomez, and then Bronze Vincent Lewis, and then Gills, he's got Holland, Non Stanford, and Jorgensen. Lee Spore, Ali Brownlee takes the win again in a repeat of London 2012. A British 1 2 3 on the girls' side with Stan- Stanford, Holland, and Stimson or Jenkins in that order. Okay, Michael Kennedy's got us, the athletes who come up against the likes of Gwen and the Brownleys, because anyone who says they do, uh, who doesn't say themselves and truly believes it won't beat them. Most of the athletes will be going to complete the, the Olympics and have probably lost even before they start. Good old grinder, Chrissy, Mc- Chrissy McKinley. <laughs> Did you like that one? I haven't seen it. I didn't make it before last week. <laughs> sure, come on. You love it. You love it. It's a great nickname, the grinder. <laughs> Gomez, he must be desperate for an Olympic gold. Gwen almost will be impossible, uh, almost be expected to win, and it creates huge pressure. So I would say non-Stanford. Okay, well... Peter Colson, I'm going to say he's great minds to think alike, John, because he hasn't got the Brownleys. He's got Gomez. Mm. And he's got the reason is the Brownleys just get too injured too often. And that's what you were saying to me mm. before the show. And then he's got Anne Kate. How's that last name? Zafiris? Zafiris. Zafiris. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Gwen is the easy guess, but how long can her uninjured streak continue? Mm. So, And last one I'll do um, Sean... Macken, I'll take the easy road and say Jorgensen and Ali Brownlee. They are class. Okay, well, Mark Dixon, did you do him? No. A no. so. woman, Jorgensen, has to be the shoe for gold. Uh, the other two are too hard to call at this stage. Men's, he's going for gold, men's for gold. Brownlee at silver and Mola, and there's Alistair Brownlee, Mola for bronze. Jumbo, your thoughts? It's going to be interesting, very so interesting. You, so, John, like you've got Gomez, Lewis, and Mola. You haven't even got a Brownlee in there. I haven't. Now, if, if, if you purely go. Who's the best athlete in the world? And if everybody performs on the day, you're going to go, it's probably going to be Alistair Brownlee win, and then second or third will be either Gomez and um, probably Al- uh, and Jonathan Brownlee and probably Moeller if, uh, if he makes the, the cut. But the Brownleys have been really injured lately. So at the moment, Johnny Brownlee's injured. Alistair Brownlee was injured earlier on. Alistair Brownlee bombed out in the, in the test event for whatever reason. So... Of course you don't discount the Brownleys, but you say... Well, Are you starting to see the end of his dominance purely because of his inability injury. to train? Yeah. Okay. It, it, so if he's fit and ready to rumble... Money's on him. He'll he, he win. Even a year from now? Like, you know, like... And is there any young kid, you know, because like Gomez, he's been around forever. Mm. You know, we're not seeing a young kid coming through who you go... Vincent Louis the next, next, next one sort of coming through. So Gomez, you've got to say... He's, You'd be really surprised if he's not on the podium because he's so consistent. Because he's been around forever. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been around for a long I'll, time. I'll do some research on well, him. Well, I know. And yeah, he's. Been, like, when did he, he start to, winning? I think he went to the 2004 Olympics. 
Uh, so anyway, that, I'm, I'm going Gomez, Vincent Louis and Moller will run through from the second pack. And the other thing with Gomez and Louis, they're always going to make that front pack. And if a pack stays away, they've got a good chance. Likewise, the Brownlee's always going to make the front pack. But yeah, the only thing stopping the um, probably Alistair Brownlee winning is if he's going to be injured or not injured. And then I've gone on the girls' side of things. Gwen Jorgensen, I mean... Even if she is injured, she's still that far in front of everybody that she should win. But we have seen the girls getting a little bit closer to her in the last couple of races, so maybe she's not invincible. And Non Stanford is finally coming back, but she's very injury-prone as well. A lot of the, the Brits seem to be injury-prone. They um, must obviously train very, very hard, and when they're on, they're on, but then when they're off, they're injured and on the sidelines. And I've gone for Sarah True for third place. So Gomez won his first ITU World Cup event in 2006. Okay. So he's been racing at this high level, and that's when he won his first gold, so he's obviously mm. racing a little bit before that. He turned pro in 2003, so he's been racing as a pro for 12 years. He's currently 32, mm-hmm. so, you know, he's definitely old in the two for this game, isn't he? He is going to crush Kona when he comes across. Oh. But so, I mean, so... Uh, he, yeah, but we've said that about many... Mm. Lessing. Mm-hmm. You know, not, you know, like how many of these guys who've come across have actually... If he does it next, if he does it straight away, like Lessing was, he was Too on long. the, he was on the, the, the yeah, but still decline. he should have done better. Yeah, but Gomez still seems to be fit. He's on top of his game, so if if he comes across twenty seventeen, so wait, when are the Olympics? Gomez. Imagine if he did this, not going to happen. But imagine does the Olympics, does Kona a month later? Yeah, well, he wouldn't allow that. Would they? Could, see, that's where they should. Like, imagine if he said, "Look, can I just not qualify and be given a wild card?" Mm. Like, you'd be foolish not to, wouldn't you? It, would it be conceivable? It depends where the 70.3 worlds fall. Oh, so he's to qualify there. But he'd still need to have done an Ironman, wouldn't he? Yeah, he could go just doddle around the course at some stage in the end of August. Yeah, you have to have a pretty good schedule, can Yeah. Yeah, it would it's, be. It's be not going to happen, but it'd be amazing if it did. Mm. Imagine if someone won the Olympic gold medal and the Ironman World Championships in one year. That'd be awesome. That would be fantastic. Mm. Okay, John, but well, my picks are Gomez, Lewis, and Mola. Oh, my God. <laughs> Incredible. No, I think Brownlee's going to be there. I think Brownlee, Alistair Brownlee will be there fit because there's one one race that you know, these guys mm. aim for, and although he's injured right now, and, and obviously that race, you know, if, normally when he comes back from injury, he tends to win, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Whereas this time he didn't, so that kind of does say something. But... You know, champions know how to kind of race at the key races. So I think Brownlee and uh, Jorgensen because yep. she's dominant, and that's about all I know about ITU. <laughs> Good. You should brush up. You got a year to brush up. Yeah. Right, Bevan, yeah. Athlinks.com. Have a quick look, John. Now, so I've got, I've got I'm, I'm on a running comeback, and I've got uh, a couple of morning, 10k, you're flying. Uh, couple of ten k races coming up, and. What I love about Athlinks is I'm going, there's only two ten, it's only really two or three 10k races in Christchurch and never haven't really done them in a prime, but I'm thinking, what times did I do? Just go into Athlinks, pull up your profile, boom, hit the button, there's a button up the top which just gets all your 10k races up, boom, spits them all out. If I wanted to do this um, independently and go to the different races, I'd have to probably go to three or four different websites, boom, got okay. all my times listed You're in not one on place. the page? I'm on the page. Oh. It's depressing reading. I have not had a good 10K. Yeah, you really haven't, have I you? I really haven't. No, that, that, that is a bit depressing. Yeah. <laughs> so a, a, a good 10, really good 10K for me, it would be probably 34 flat. Um, I'd probably struggle to get under 34 minutes. You reckon? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, maybe just snick it, snick up. I, I, I was the time I did the Tumor Triathlon, I did 33 minutes. Oh, well, London Triathlon at the weekend. I got a guy and a coach who did it, and I thought, man, that's a really good runtime, really good improvement. Sure. And... Um, 
And I said, because GPS file is all, all screwed up because they, they run into like this exhibition centre and come oh, out. And so you out. lose all your GPS. And so his run time is, is, is split was like eight and a half kilometres. And you look at the picture, the map, and half the time it looks like he's been running in the River Thames and all this <laughs> stuff. And I'm not whatever. I'm thinking, I'm thinking oh, maybe it's not quite accurate. And then I went to the age group results and uh, this guy's like running 31s and stuff. And oh, wow. Was like, I think it's a few minutes short. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so for my team. Where did you get results, when you got into the Canterbury Road Champs? Do you know where you got overall in that? I had a battle not to get checked. Oh, really? With Fiona, Fiona Crombie. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wasn't far in front of her. She was running on my shoulder for a long time. But yeah, all my all my 10K times are sort of my best. It's 34 and a half. I've only got listed back to 209. And I haven't run that many. I've only got five or six results. But the problem with the Canterbury Champs, what they do, is like four laps of two and a half So you're K. passing lots of people? No, so you've got you got like how many of your U-turns that is? Probably seven, uh, seven U-turns. So it's just not good. good and that kills you, run. you know, five seconds per, yeah. not five, maybe not five, but. About a minute <clears> each lap, eh? Yeah, a minute each turns. lap. <laughs> so I guess my point is I can quickly go to one point, find all my results and go, holy crap. But in fairness to you, out. the governor's beat Littleton. You did 34, uh, 38 there. That's, <clears> that's not an easy 5K. No, but it's net, net, it is net downhill. It's, oh, it's it? usually quicker than you think. Oh, okay. Anyway, I need to pull my finger out. But if you want to know your times, rather than going to ten, you know, if you want to go, oh, a lot of people. Where am I? At? Yeah. What's my best Ironman time? If you've done twenty Ironmans, you go through, boom, you can pull it out. Okay. Just your like best that. Olympic distance triathlon time is one fifty-five over two. Mm-hmm. Is that a great day? What year was that though? Okay. Well, I'm <clears> just I'm pulling up athletics right here. Let's have a look. Olympic distance triathlon. That's going to be a little while ago. That is going to be back in two, 1996, John, <laughs> at the Cleveland ITU Triathlon World Championships. You got 58th in your age. No, that, that great. That's right. I got about 20th. That's okay. I think that what what happened is they they have they had two junior races. They had uh, sort of yeah, well, it used to be under 20, and then I think they had the 18s and 19s. And somehow it got combined. I think I got about 20th or something. Now, is that actually your best time ever? Of course, it's never accurate over a long no. distance. I think I've been faster. Pretty cool. The problem was all my races, not all of them, but all my peak performances were in the before the internet. Uh, you, you don't even exist. I know. You know, it's all lies. Yeah. Okay, Pe- John, athletes.com. If you want to get into it, guys, check out athletes.com. You can geek out on your own results. You can geek out on your friends' results, and it's all good fun. Okay, John, I'm going to put some music on for this dad's test. Here we go. Dad's fantastic. It's fantastic. Okay, John Newsom, what's happening in the stats this week? Right. Uh, this is an unofficial stat. Oh, okay, great. Like most weeks. Most weeks. <laughs> happy to have feedback if you think I've got it incorrect. This week we've got the Norseman, not the Norseman, this week we've got Embraman yeah. Triathlon. Last week we had Norseman, and often we think Norseman is the hardest race on the planet and it's crazy hard. Oh, I see what you've done here. So I what see I'm, what you've done here. The hilliest bike course, or the bike courses with the most elevation gain. Okay, so what would most people think? The hilliest bike course? You probably think Norseman? You probably would think Norseman, but there's actually the run in Norseman, isn't it? That's yes. It, you know. Yeah. And then we had... We had uh, the Kelpman. Scott said that wasn't crazy hard. It was rolling, but it wasn't you know, going over alpine passes or anything. Okay. So what is it, John? Let's in, go from the bottom to the top. Okay, so I, I think I listed the top five, but again, if, if you think I've got this a little bit wrong... Let me know. But I could give uh, the Birmingham James Isles guarantee. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, there's a new one that's come out, the Austria Extreme Triathlon. It's got 2,512 metres of elevation. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's a lot of climbing. 
Norseman, 2,933. Oh, that's a lot of climbing. The Brutal was around 3,000 oh, metres of elevation. That's again. a lot of climbing. Swissman cranks it up even further. We talked about this one um, a few years ago. Swissman is, is obviously in Switzerland. 3,960 metres of elevation. That's a lot again. of climbing. The big daddy of them all, though, that takes out the preem is Embraman at 4,071 metres of elevation gain. It's an iron distance race. It's an iron distance race. Wow, that's crazy. So for for our Christchurch listeners, it's like riding up and down to the top of the Port Hills and back probably 12 times within 180Ks. It's ridiculous. So you go over the cold Ridiculous. It is a big climb. How long is the biggest climb? How long does it take? How long is it? it well, the cold is hard. I think it would go up to you know, well over 2,000 metres elevation. You're not starting at, at sea level, um, and that's the big daddy, but there's also lots of other climbs. What about the course. run? The run is flat? around the town. It's not, no, it's not flat, but it's not mountainous, but you certainly rolling. got some climbs up and down within the course. Wow, so, sounds, uh, it sounds amazing. Yeah, uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a mystic, mystical the problem sort of is, climb. nowadays, people will probably want to take selfies at the top. Yeah. That would do John Houston Tierden, wouldn't it? It if, would. If you were doing a race. Yeah. I was teaching a pump class at the gym the other morning and that snow came through mm-hmm. and it was pretty beautiful. Like it was, mm-hmm. you know, because at the windows at the gym you could see the snow kind of. And, and I go, oh, wow, the snow. Because no, everyone's looking at me, not like what I can see. And mm-hmm. everyone turns around. Suddenly people are stopping the class, grabbing their phones, oh. taking photos. Where's the commitment? I told them off, John. So this week's stat is, as far as I can see, Embraer Man is the hilliest bike horse Iron distance on the circuit at 4,071 metres. Okay, Jumbo, good work. Okay, we've got an interview coming up. Bob Sebaha, we've had him on the show, nutrition expert, controversial at times, um, but also very wise. So we're going to get him on the show, and he's going to be talking about kids' sport and nutrition with triathlon. Okay, we've got a guy back on the show who we've had uh, a couple of times before talking about metabolic efficiency and uh, general nutrition as well. His name's uh, Bob Sebaha, and today's going to be a slightly different um, topic. It's going to be sports nutrition for young triathletes. Um, Bob's just come out with a book which I've really enjoyed scanning through, and I'm going to start reading it cover to cover because it's an area that I've uh, got a lot of interest in myself. Um, and we're gonna. Uh, what I want to try to do is, is not get on a rant here because I'll start ranting and Bob might as well about general obesity problems. We want to try to focus on the the topic at hand, which is is for you know sports nutrition for young triathletes rather than uh, rather than the obesity problem that we're all battling around the world. So uh, Bob, welcome back to the show. Thank you, guys. It's a it's an absolute honor to be back chatting with you. I was going to be cheeky and say, "So tell us about obesity." <laughs> no, <Yeah. laughs> oh. we will not get on the. We will try to stay off that topic. But I guess what was the motivation for this book? I know you've got some kids yourself, and I've got kids. And um, was was that your motivation, or is it just a, a question that you've been getting a huge amount of, and there not being a lot of information out there? I think you know. I think a little bit of both, and and as you mentioned, you know, I'm a parent myself, and um, I actually own a, a nonprofit uh, kids triathlon organization here in Colorado. It's called Kids at Try, and you know, I've been coaching young triathletes, you know, under the age of 18. Uh, for this is my seventh year now, and I've learned a lot as a coach, you know, coming from adults. Uh, but but also, you know, seeing the behaviors that these kids were bringing into practices, and you know, being engaged with them during practices, talking about their behaviors, and also just you know, witnessing my own children. That, along with just as you mentioned, so many questions. There are, you know, not a day passes where a parent doesn't ask me. 
what should my child eat? What is what is best? And and I tell you, probably most of the motivation was was being at these kids races. And I, I kid you not, just seeing all these just foul nutrition practices. I mean, I was at Youth and Junior National Championships uh, two weekends ago uh, for USA Triathlon, and you know, standing at the finish line. Unfortunately, seeing just a host of kids throwing up, and they're you know they're not passing out, but they're you know dropping to the ground, and you know all I could think about was you know that was about a twenty or thirty minute race. What nutritionally did not go right for you? You know, possibly the morning of, the day before. So a lot of that stuff just kind of built up to, it, and I think it was just finally a, I need to get this out in print because so many people are making so many mistakes that. I wanted to provide that education, and I'll, I'll tell you this straight up: there is there no other book exists for sport nutrition for this particular population, young triathletes. And I will tell you also, very little research aside from questionnaires, because I've looked and I've scoured the research, has actually been done on anyone under 18 years of age. So it's very, very it was a very difficult book to write and actually find some information for. So a lot of it is, you know, it's a splash of research and a whole bunch of real life material in it. So how have you laid the book out in terms of, um, is it more targeted at uh, people who, who have a bit of a clue about nutrition or, and, and how have you sort of laid it out with the chapters? Because it seems yeah. when I looked through it, it flowed really nicely. It did, and you know, my main focus point, focal point was to really target the individual that, or the parents or, you know, young triathlete that, knew nothing, absolutely nothing about nutrition. So I could actually be that first entry point of nutrition education for them. So I've, I've flowed it to where you know I'm talking about the young triathlete and their needs, but then I also hit them right away with what the nutrients are. You know, so talking about the macronutrients, the micronutrients, what they do in the body, you know, how to look at food, and really that's my end goal is to teach these these guys and girls and parents and coaches how to use food properly for these these young athletes. And you know, looking at it, even the the seasoned you know veteran parent that may know a lot about nutrition, I, I included a lot of nutrient timing strategies. You know, I really highlighted my my metabolic efficiency and nutrition periodization strategies to allow them with a little more advanced knowledge to be able to come in about midway through the book and still be applicable. But here's Here's what's different about this is, you know, I, I talk about developmental stages, behavior change for kids, how to teach kids. Nobody, nobody's done that with kids, right? They just say, you know, here's a carbohydrate, you know, here's a protein, here's a, here's a fat, but they don't know how to teach them how to incorporate it not only in their daily lives for health, but also pre and post swim, bike and run. So I think that's the very unique part of this this project, this book that I put out last year. So I, th- I guess that's the question that um, you know people have heard you on our show before talk about metabolic efficiency, which was you know fascinating and I think changed a lot of people's way that they are treating their nutrition. Yes. <clears throat> do yeah. the same principles. I know this might be a really broad question, but do the same yeah. general principles apply to young triathletes in terms of uh, yeah just your, your general metabolic efficiency message that you've got across in the past. Yeah, it's it's a great question and one that I get often because for some reason people still are are possibly not getting the the entirety of the concept of metabolic efficiency. They still latch onto it as a diet and it's it's not as we've talked about in the past. It's a it's a it's a lifestyle change, behavior change. So the beautiful thing about metabolic efficiency is it's what everybody should be implementing to a certain degree depending on not only now their age and developmental stage since we're talking about these young athletes but also their health goals, their body weight goals. The the great thing about this is metabolic efficiency actually should be the primary goal when working with kids because steady energy level and steady blood sugar actually relates into a host 
of positive um, positive behaviors, including school. Not, I mean, away from the the sport of triathlon, but we're seeing test score related to blood sugar control. We're seeing attendance and absenteeism, and just the ability to cognitively focus on their teachers during during uh, lectures and, and during classroom work. So. Yes, metabolic efficiency is the cornerstone. However, I will say with, with kids, with young triathletes, there are some adaptations and some differences that we imply. So a, a, huge, a huge one is really the, the topic of whole grains. And that's, you know, when you say that to an adult uh, triathlete who may follow metabolic efficiency, you know, you'll either get the stare like, wow, I shouldn't do whole grains or I don't do whole grains. Um, whereas kids, de- depending, and this is the great thing, depending on their developmental level, be it pre-puberty, puberty, or post-puberty, we actually need to introduce a lot more carbohydrates, but we still need to keep the balance of protein and fat kind of in check so we, we can control their blood sugar. So it's it's kind of like a, it, it, it's an interesting uh, balance that we try to, it's almost like a teeter-totter, right? You got to keep that teeter-totter in balance depending on when they're accelerating or decelerating through their developmental stages. And I'll tell you, that is one of the hardest things, not only for me as a parent, but as a coach is to guess when these kids are going through their developmental mm-hmm. stages. So when you talk about the, the extra carbohydrate, you know, is that because they are growing so they're not only dealing with the stresses of um, the training and day-to-day life but they're also just spurting up so that carbohydrate you know for 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 Joe Bloggs average triathlete you know that may metabolically not be the most efficient thing to do but they're just having to deal with so much else going on with their body absolutely yeah so you're talking about muscular growth you're talking about cellular growth inside um, you all also have a lot of hormonal fluctuations in, in boys and girls, right? So girls are, are redistributing their estrogen, whereas boys are gaining a lot more testosterone. So we know that carbohydrates are, are definitely an absolute necessity. But I, I do want to highlight that we can't forget about protein and fat because those and, – and that's actually – if you were to ask me what's, what's the biggest mistake that you know young triathletes are doing, at least in the U.S. that I'm seeing, is they're over-consuming carbohydrate and forgetting about protein and fat. So – Yes, while we do need carbohydrates, we, we can't let them forget about the protein and fat because those are such key nutrients that are necessary in the development of hormones and enzymes and, and all the things we, we don't see inside the body is growing while their skeletal system is growing. Regards to the frequency of eating, you know, like I always just think of like young teenage boys are just like a, a dump oh, truck, yeah. aren't they? You know, like the, the volume <laughs> really of food are. they can eat. So, you know, even between girls and boys, <clears throat> And obviously, if you've got kids who are doing triathlon, their energy output's going to be pretty high. Uh, right. You know, what, what kind of frequency should they be looking for? That's a really tricky one. And I've actually, you know, having, having my oldest is, is 14 and he's a competitive triathlete. And um, I've learned quite a bit from him. I'll, I'll tell you that straight up. Because what I've learned is, one, obviously, we know kids go through different spurts at different times, but a lot of kids, when they're, when they're not developing in terms of the physical nature, the physical stature, their, their eating or their, their hunger response goes down significantly. So as an example, when, when kids are not in a quote-unquote growth spurt, they could be you know, eating maybe every three, four, maybe even four and a half, five hours. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the whole school influence here in a second. But, but in contrast, what I see is when, when kids are going through a tremendous growth spurt, it's usually, I mean, I'm not even kidding you, even in the most metabolically efficient way we can, we can institute a meal plan for a child, a young triathlete, they're eating every 90 minutes to two hours if possible. Um, and that, it, it's funny because 
just like adults, we have to be very careful in saying, and I ask kids this a lot, you know, why are you eating? Are you eating because you're hungry? Is it that biological hunger, which we've talked about on past episodes, or are you eating because you're bored? So even at a younger age, we're still seeing the, the, um, the, uh, the, the popularity of emotional eating in young triathletes. So we, we still need to keep an eye on that, especially parents, because um, they're obviously it's their child, they're living with them, and coaches, because they see them quite often. Mm. I, was, I was watching, um, I think I've said this a couple of times in the show already today, but I was watching Ironman Switzerland at the weekend and there was this uh, husband and wife couple that were doing the race and uh, and they were saying, oh yeah, after the race we can go and have a beer and you know, we do this race so we can... Um, we can eat as much oh. as we like. And I was thinking, oh. they had their kids there. I was like, it's not the best example to be doing. I respect what you're doing in the race, but uh, they were. you had a good quote in your book is, uh, eat to train, don't train to eat, which seemed to be yes. the opposite of their philosophy. Oh, it's, and I still hear that too. And it, and it bothers me because that, you know, the first concept that I developed years ago was nutrition periodization. And that is the whole, let's eat to support our training instead of our training supporting our eating. And I, I will tell you this though, and, and maybe it's the small world I live in, but I don't, I don't hear too many kids talking about that. I do hear their adults um, and their parents talking about that for sure, especially if they're triathletes. But it, it is, you know, I, I always, I always have a saying in the in the world of of teaching. Since I work with with young athletes and, and uh, you know us us masters, older athletes, is we can we have the opportunity to teach kids and fix adults, and and I think that's what we're trying to do. And that's that was part of my onus for this book was really to provide that education for kids. So maybe they don't they don't turn around in a few years and say, yeah, you know, I just I did the Ironman. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna eat whatever I want for two or three weeks. You know, so I'm. I'm hoping we can take charge of that a little bit more, and we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the next few years. Well, with regards to, and, and this may be a little bit off topic, but with kids, you know, like, because with adults, it's kind of like people, the game of control is often a hard thing. And, and obviously, in our world, people yeah. tend to be a little bit more disciplined and probably a bit more conscious mm-hmm. of their eating choices. So maybe we are more disciplined. But as John was saying, we do have this kind of level of people who consider training as a reason to eat more. Um, but with yeah. kids, they might not be conscious of their, their eating, but as adults, how do we influence them controlling the healthy amounts of food? Oh, it's it's actually, that is a hot topic. That's a very tricky one. And I, I actually... Um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any hair, but I was pulling my hair out uh, literally or figuratively <laughs> trying to, trying to answer that question seriously, because you know, what I found in, in, in coaching young athletes is some, so if you take a young triathlete who has parents who are triathletes, it, it, it could be easier. It could not be easier, right? It's, it's, um, what I've found though, is there is a close correlation and association between parents who are active and maybe they don't even have to be in triathlon, but at least they're active. So they can have those conversations that are much easier because it's almost like, you know, I'm walking the walk and talking the talk and I can relate with you, my child, a little better. Whereas I see some parents who aren't active or who don't really understand the sport of triathlon, those are the ones who have a little bigger problem understanding and relating to their child about the quantity, the volume, the timing of food because they think you know, their child will, will self-regulate. And, and I'll tell you, that it, it, especially pre-puberty, the child does not self-regulate that well, um, even during puberty because those, that it, it goes up and down so much in terms of their hunger and, and satiety responses. Mm. Now, um, for 
fruit and vegetables, uh, you know, I, I don't know, if my kid, I've kind of been forced into a corner a bit with my son because he's got all these different allergies and stuff, and so he's oh, just got yeah. this incredibly um, nutritious diet, to, but, but fruit and vegetables. So he'll, you know, but, but, and I get kids coming around <clears throat> and they'll look at a vegetable and fruit and just sort of go, what the hell? <laughs> you know? Uh, um, yeah, yeah. What sort of tips do you have in terms of, for, for parents, excuse me, <clears throat> in terms of trying to, to get, more nutrition into their diet, more nutrients, because we we do sort of green smoothies, you know, most days and things like that. Oh, yeah. But any tips that you've got in terms of trying to, if if someone's already on a bad path, not necessarily a bad path, but not on a great path in terms of getting those macronutrients and things they can do to 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 subtly start increasing better stuff into kids' diets. Yeah, you know that's that's actually a good point that you make. I think it it does stem with the parents first and foremost. So um, you know having having the parents take charge of that educational process. But it, even before I answer your question, you know providing feedback or providing information from the parent to the child, saying you know and, and maybe even looking you know telling the adults the parents to take a close look in the mirror. You know, do you asking the questions? Do you justify food? Do you you know does what does your child hear you saying about food? Because your your behaviors are going to be somewhat matched by your child's at least until they get out of the house right mm-hmm. so that's that's the first and foremost for your listeners to they need to take a little more active role in their health and their nutrition so uh, I see that a lot and I've had that where you know kids don't eat fruits and veggies and my first question to the parents is what do you have in your house or let me come over and, and let me see because typically these are the households that don't have a lot of fruits and veggies right and it, and it does stem from the parents that said, if if everything is is very great and there's you know bountiful fruits and vegetables and the parents are all for it, but the the, the message, the connection, just isn't getting to the child. What you mentioned is actually the easiest way to introduce fruits and veggies into a young athlete's diet, and that is just buy a really great blender, mm, and absolutely. you can you can put anything. I mean, I've I've got a few recipes in the back of this book, the the young triathletes book, but I've got a, re- a smoothie recipe book with eighty five smoothies in there and every single one of them has carrots celery kale spinach bok choy i mean because you can hide those things right mm-hmm. and that's the beauty is the fruit will will provide that natural sweetness while you're still getting ample nutrients from not only the fruit but also the veggies so there there are some pretty easy ways to hide vegetables not only by blending them but you can put them in dishes i mean i you know for for families who do uh, lasagna lasagna is one that pops into mind you know you can actually layer spinach mm-hmm. or or okay, some kale in yeah, in between the layers, and, and the kids, you know, they they barely see it. Um, you know, and and maybe making it fun. I mean, I used to do this when my kids were younger, and you know, you do the 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 ants on the log, you know, the celery and peanut butter and raisins, and sometimes if you make fruits and veggies fun, but also what I like to do is actually give children, give the young athletes a choice. So take them to the market with you and. Have them pick out some fruits and veggies or go to a farmer's market and try something different. If you engage them at being a parent in the process, then they have ownership in it. And, and especially as they get into puberty and they start developing their own, their own person, they actually respect the fact that the parents are allowing them to make some choices. It's, so um, you gotta, you got to put a leash on it, though. Yeah. I, I read this really good book, uh, Mindless Eating, which I'm sure you've heard of, yes, by Brian Winston. And he was talking about with kids, you know, obviously the earlier we can get vegetables and make them acceptable in their life, the, the easier the battle they'll be if they get older. But he was talking about that context thing and he was talking about some preschool where broccoli was the most favourite food of all the kids in the preschool mm-hmm. and they couldn't figure out why. And it turned out that one of the parents 
had called broccoli dinosaur trees. Yeah. And the, oh. the fact that kids, they, they, they thought they were eating dinosaur trees, it was suddenly just the most favourite food that they could eat. And it was Absolutely. just that, that idea of concept around, or you know, content um, around the food, it makes it more accessible for the children. And then on long term, they're going to have healthier habits around that as well. Absolutely. Well, and, and even look at the preparation. Like you can, you can, I mean, we do, we do it here in the summertime quite often and, you know, we get grapes and we freeze the grapes. I mean, it's a mm. great summertime snack. So again, as, as parents, let's think out of the norm and say, you know, do we have to use this fruit or this vegetable like we normally do? Or can I blend it? Can I freeze it? Can I, can I put it in another dish? Or, you know, can I make something fun or create a story out of it? And I think, I think that goes more for the younger kids, you know, as they age, Mm. um, they do start developing. And this is interesting. Once, I, I don't think there's, there's a lot of research on this, but once they start hitting that post or not post but but in their puberty to post puberty stages they start developing their own likes and dislikes aside from what mom and dad put on the table at dinner time or lunchtime right so now they're starting to make a more active engagement in their food choices so I'll, I'll tell you and I've told a lot of parents this up until about the age of 12 13 14 you know you have to expose them to as many colorful fruits and vegetables as possible as they become more of a teenager in their teenage years, they'll start choosing which ones they liked and then they'll start making their own decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. The parents still have to have a very active and engaging role in it. But but we do want to shift from I'm putting this on the table to what are you choosing today in terms of your fruits and vegetables? Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the final one topic or question I had was just around sports nutrition and supplements and stuff. So, mm, you know, for, yeah. for a 20-minute event, I mean, I'm assuming uh, kids really don't need uh, sports nutrition, I would assume. But yep. uh, and that may be a cause of people throwing up and what have you. So sports yeah. nutrition and supplements, is it a requirement for kids? You know, are supplements necessary in some instances? Um, and sort of do you go over this in the book? Yes, I do. Um, I actually have a whole chapter devoted on it. It's called Supplement Savvy. Uh, but, but I'll tell you this. If, if someone, you know, if a, if a young athlete has an intolerance, an allergy, um, something to food, then that's because uh, that, that's where supplements may be needed. So we need to consider this first. There are three types of supplements. Um, the first is a dietary supplement, and that's really what I'm speaking of. That could be iron, vitamin D, multivitamins, calcium, zinc, um, things like that. That that those usually are taken because there are some type of intolerances or imbalances in the diet. So those are ones I don't see many young athletes taking those. To be honest with you, the other two, which which we're also referring to, sports supplements, which are energy bars, gels, drinks, you know, you name it, and then ergogenic aids, such as and, and this is great because I don't see a lot of kids doing um, many ergogenic aids. That's performance enhancing aids, but those are things like. Like creatine, like amino acids, uh, you know, nitric oxide, the whole, you know, the beet story, bicarbonate. Mm. I will say this though, and it's kind of alarming. A lot more young athletes, triathletes that I'm seeing, are actually using caffeine, and mm. that kind of scares me because they don't know how to use it and they don't know what they're doing with it. Mm. Um, so, overall, answer to that is no. I do not believe many young triathletes actually do need supplements. However, they do need to focus, and that's why you know three quarters of my book is focused on nutrition education around food because they need to know how to how to navigate the food landscape. I suppose just just lastly from me is you know what's the objective of the parents' role in regards mm. to sports nutrition? 
Mm, that's a real well one is be educated right and and we try to do that here within my team structure and my business is educate the parents as much as we can whether it's you know ebooks smoothie books you know th- this sport nutrition for young athletes having some talks the more educated the parent is the more they can actually provide that to their child now I'm, i'll say this though find Find a, a good positive support system. So find some coaches, specifically positive ones that that you know have their stuff together and know what they're talking about. Because, and I'm sure you guys know this, but you know kids don't listen to their parents all the time, no matter how knowledgeable they are. Especially in teenagers. Right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what I've tried to do is is locate people outside. And, and being a coach to these young athletes, it's pretty easy because the parents, you know, they come to tell me and they say, "Hey, I told my son the same thing you just told them." And now they're going to do it because you told them it, right? And I said, you know, that's it's unfortunate, but it's the way it works. Yeah, so parents well. find a so yeah, yeah, but find a support system for the parents so so they're not banging their head against the wall, so they can actually you know talk to their coach, talk to talk to other parents who can maybe have conversations with their children. That's that's a pretty important role for the parent because otherwise they're just going to be talking to a wall. I mean, like you mentioned, especially in teenage years. I mean, they the teenagers don't want to hear what you have to say. Mm. And it's not just the kids that don't listen, it's the wives often don't listen. Right. <laughs> yeah. They hear from somebody else. It's a fantastic idea. <laughs> hey, um, in in no terms comment. of, um, so the book, guys, is called Sports Nutrition for, for Young Triathletes. Bob, where can people get this book and also yeah, in terms of your other books? Yeah, uh, all my resources are on my website, um, and it's been updated. I forgot the last time I talked to you, but I've, I've had a little business switch, so um, created more of a eclectic, holistic uh, business, not just nutrition, but I've created everything that I do from endurance coaching to sport nutrition to physiology testing in a physical space here in Colorado. So the new business is called Energy Performance, and it's actually spelled E N R G. Yep. performance.com you can you can google me um, this book is found on amazon.com I have a hard copy I've got e ebooks um, so this is actually an ebook format too so that's an easy download but uh, yeah energyperformance.com you can shoot me an email bob at energyperformance.com awesome bob now we love talking to you it's it's nice and straightforward and guys as I've said I've been looking through the book and just thought it's just nice and straightforward you know understandable but it takes you to the right sort of level of technical stuff um, yeah if you're someone who doesn't know a lot about nutrition and you want to know for your kids it really puts it in simple language that you can Mm. understand yeah so bob thanks so much for your time and uh anything else you want to get across no i think you know i think again let's let's just really emphasize to parents and young triathletes that really similar to metabolic efficiency balancing blood sugar is really the name of the game so the more we can combine protein fat and fiber in a young athlete's diet and almost every time they eat it's not only going to help their sport, but it's going to help them in school also. So let's, let's really have that as the main focus. Awesome. Now, we love your stuff, Bob, and we'll love to get you back on again at some stage in the future. Uh, it'd be my pleasure, guys. Rodeo Jumbo, we are back, and I'm just making sure I'm not recording over other stuff right now. No, I'm not. No, we are back, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Bob Sibaha, uh, yes. interesting stuff. It is great stuff. I'm loving it. Um, it's just, yeah. You know, I think we can easily get get on that rant again and just go on about obesity. But I think let's focus on you know the young triathletes and how we can make sure we fuel them correctly. And uh, so yeah. interesting. On my other podcast, I interviewed a lady called Wendy Sweet, who is just an icon of fitness in New Zealand. And uh, she's someone who kind of is. T- kind of, she was an Ironman. She did Ironman. Right. She um, in the eighties. 
um, a New Zealand leading personal trainer, fitness instructor, and now has gone into the academic world and has done some really amazing research in kind of lots of areas. But one of the things she talks about was this kind of the historic, you know, the importance of activity in kids' lives. And if adults have activity with their kids, then the chance of the kids having exercise forever is massive. And so it's really important that we kind of role model that stuff for our kids. And obviously, while she didn't talk about the nutrition aspect of it, this is an obvious thing that if we can create these and store these really good habits mm. around food and have the right kind of food in our kid's life, the chance of them being a healthier adult. Mm. Now, we can never 100% determine if our kid's going to be a healthy adult, but the, the percentage I mean, chance of increasing that obviously goes up if we can get that happening. So it's really important stuff, isn't it? And I couldn't echo Bob's sentiments more about the blender. It's the blender. We had our blender challenge, and I know that on the day, Bevan's blender performed okay. <laughs> My blender's still going well. But we've got one of the kick-ass men, and man, blender just cracks up a storm uh, most mornings and you just get so much in there. So not just for kids, but, you know, we just go through a barrel of spinach and all different things through there. And once the kids get the hang of it, like we don't even put, need to put berries in now. We used to put berries in to make it red, but um, just so it's not green. But now you just crank them out of green one, they just, just chop it. Yep. So do they have that for breakfast? Or is it with breakfast? With breakfast, okay. yeah. Um, so if you want to check out the book, I'll put a link to that on www.imtalk.me. And thank you, Bob, for that. Okay, guys, I'm going to put some music on. And here is Website of the Week. Website of the Week. Okay, John, Bo, let me know. What's, what's the gossip on the website? James, the wise one, Botel. Yeah, it's cool. It's called cycleroute.org. Thought you and listeners might like this one. Have you ever been stuck planning your bike route, trying to get the elevation profile right? Well, using cycleroute.org couldn't be easier. Pick and start your points. Why not choose, say, Christchurch and Akaraa, and you can move the line around. So what it basically does is it gives you a really good visual picture of... the, the, the profile of any bike rides you want to do. And I've I, there's, there's lots of other websites that, that do this as well. I use one called ridewithgps.com. But what I found with this one, cycleroute.org, is yeah, it's really quick and simple. Um, you put in, say, right, as, Bevan said, uh, as James said, Christchurch and Akira, boom. It spits out the profile. You don't need to go through plotting lots of different things. Um, and I find that it did really follow the best route and then you can move the line around and the other thing you can do with this is then you can classify the different climbs based off your criteria so you it's a bit like Tour de France you see your know, first a second third fourth category climb and how they determine that is by the the distance of the climb and also the steepness of the climb but with this website you can actually determine how you want to judge that so you might say well a first a first category climb I want my first category climb to be anything over XYZ percent and of, of whatever distance and so you can you can make your own classifications up so yeah I just found it to be nice and quick and easy and uh, seem to follow the right routes whereas sometimes some of the other websites seem to follow a, a slightly obscure route and take you on, on all these roads that don't actually exist and you can't bike over this one seemed to do a really good job of it so cycleroute.org check it out we've got one category one if we're going to do that race next year for our camp well, not a camp for that. Well, that's man. the thing. You can make up your own categories. Well, we could call that a category. We could call that like a tensy wincy category four if we really wanted to. So category for one is what anything over four hundred is it? Yeah, but you, well, you can change it. Oh. So you, can, you can make it whatever you want it to be. But the climb we're doing on our little ten year anniversary camp is pretty decent. Decent, seven, about how far? Is it? I think it's about seven or eight kilometres. Yeah, and it's not, it's, it's, it's not. I think steep, to, steep. It's a nice, just kind of. 
there's moments where it's like it's not a killer steep ride. No. It's just nice, kind of consistent, challenging ride. I think you go up to about 700 metres maybe, something like that, I think. Well, 450 based on this. Okay, maybe there you go. <laughs> That's why you need this website, so you don't guess like I just did. <laughs> you, you, you double what we <laughs> <laughs> really double is. It. There you go, cycleroute.org. Thanks, Wise One, for that one. Okay. Sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Extreme, eh? It's I had extreme. John, watch this. Extreme. Oh, Come man. on, that was pretty good. Great podcasting. <laughs> oh, you guys will never understand the level of comedy we have in the background it's, here, team. It's huge. It's amazing. Uh, so we had uh, the, the old Tim O'Tron, Tim McClure ground yesterday. Went oh, out for how's he going? Good. He's off to the... Chicago World Champs. So Patron of the show. ITU, well done, Tom. And went out for a run around the hills. Got a bit chilly up top, but I sort of given him a bit of a plan saying, right, one of the main things you got roughly, I think it's late September, the race, got to try to stay healthy. I said, just yeah. start pumping that immune boost into you and look after yourself. So, guys, um, one of Extreme Endurance products you guys will know, Immune Boost, uh, ranged from 42.90 if you get it on recurring delivery or 44.90. Um, it's, I just find a fantastic way of just keeping all those multivitamins, your macronutrients in and just keeping you healthy because the last thing you want to do is be training down the house and be in amazing form and then it all falls to crap because you're just not quite looking after things. So I I really do find it a big um, boost whenever I feel a little tickle coming on. I make sure I just, I'm on it and then, uh, yeah, so if you want to stay healthy, check it out, Extreme Endurance Immune Boost. Yeah, definitely for those Southern Hemisphere athletes right now, where it's oh, yeah. a bit cold and you know, mm. crush it right now, we've been nailed with the weather. Look at the mountains, John. The beautiful. snow is right down to the ground. It is looking pretty beautiful, isn't it? It is a lovely yeah. day. Um, so, extreme endurance, guys, and also you can get some extreme endurance while you're there as well. So, kind of get all your orders at once, save you in your shipping. And Kiwis and Aussies, just get in touch with me. I've got another big shipment on its way over. So, if you need any immune boost, extreme endurance, and I also have the Amiga in stock, uh, just pop me a note and you'll generally get it cheaper basically just because of the reduced shipping costs. So, check it out. Just go to coachjohnnewsome.com and pop me a note and we flick you out uh, the details. Okay, then. That's uh, extreme endurance xendurance.com guys check check it check it out if you haven't done it already get on it now okay john three two one questions and answers we've got an email through from kathy you have to say it bedouin i'm gonna go bedouin okay i'll give that to you um no pros at lake placid hi guys i'm one of your long time listeners having listened to every episode from day one that's pretty impressive that means you've been with us for 10 years yeah. we're probably one of the longest relationships in your life kathy <laughs> yeah we really are we really are i hemmed and har- i hemmed and harmed about writing this email about the impact of no pros at lake placid I'm not sure if it was deliberate or not, but you completely underestimated the impact of no pros at uh, many races and more importantly, the community. Um, I have been a spectator for the race for the last three years, supporting friends who race. It was quite evident that the lack of pros diminished the buzz in many ways. First, the streets on Thursday, Friday and even Saturday were not busy at all. Usually the sidewalks are packed with people. Not the case this year. When spectating on the race day, you could walk up to the barriers and get a good view in places that used to be packed with people in three rows deep. The expo was not at all busy and the food vendor located right by the corner where the runners came into the finish line set his businesses down by a third. Wow, that's massive, isn't it? I also randomly talked to racers who say that one of the perks of doing a WTC race is that you're on the side to side with pros out there on the course, even though 
uh, even if it's only a couple for a couple of seconds. Further, since LP is one of an iconic races, uh, the racers felt that the WTC thought the LP race would draw no matter what, so they could cut back one more of the perks from the remaining participants. Finally, Mike Riley announced that at the start of the uh, event that the WTC contributed $66,000 to the local community charities this year. The WTC has become nothing more than a logistics company, something of great value to Ironman participants, no doubt. The private equity guys may ultimately make their money on this company, but they would have stripped out a lot of what used to attract people to the sport in the first place. Mm, so really good, thoughts here, good eh? feedback, so appreciate that. And... Yeah, it, and she it, wasn't the only one who said that. We did get some yeah, other feedback yeah. saying it was just something you know it's missing. Yeah, and it's really interesting because we always say, well, the the problem for the pros is how do they say to WC we're adding value? You mm. know, like why would I want to invest sixty thousand dollars in pros mm. when I can sell out a race without them? Mm-hmm. And for a race like you know Lake Placid, does this ultimately hurt the numbers next year? Do people go, well, oh, that was actually a bit of an average experience. Mm. I want to go to another race. And so actually maybe the value is there for the pros. It's, it's also now there's so many more races in, in America. You know, it used to be you didn't want to miss out on the experience. So you'd sign up straight away for the next year because everything was just selling out so fast. Whereas now you're seeing a lot more events that they're, they're, they're sort of reaching capacity, but it's not selling out within a day. That, yeah. th- those days seem to be gone with quite a few other races. Not all of them. But quite a few of them just seem to be, you go, yeah, I think I can hold off and I'll probably get in. So there's maybe a little bit of that going on. I'd love to hear from someone else who did Lake Placid. And just to really, the question is, if the experience was a bit kind of meh this year, does it make you not want to go next year? And probably that person who goes every year. Because, you know, mm. they've they got the one and doneers or the people who like to experience different races around the world. But if you're that person who goes back to Ironman New Zealand every year, you've done it seven or eight years in a row and it's just kind of your yearly big you event. If you did Lake Placid this year and you noticed that, you know, this loss of pros created this loss of feeling at the event, like Kathy was talking about, does that then make you think, eh, Lake Placid maybe is not the race for me next year? So is it actually hurting them for the people who have it, who are the, probably their best customers? Mm. So and, and maybe was it a, do you think it was at the end of the day the pros that is ultimately the reason why there wasn't so many people there or was it just something else? Maybe the, the, the market's starting to get saturated. Maybe the price point is starting but to... But it's interesting, like, even the spectator aspect. Mm. You know, like Kathy was saying, normally 3D, busy, mm. busy, busy. And is that because the public are interested in the pro race? Because why would the spectators not turn up? Well, maybe because they didn't sell... I don't know if they sold out or not. But also, are we reaching that saturation, that point where price is becoming, starting to become a bit of an issue? So I had a, a guy, John Duda, who's what racing... What are now? I don't know, sort of 800 or something like that. But, you know, he's saying, you know, when you go to Lake Placid, it's becoming more and more expensive to get there. It's a, you know, and you're just getting, uh, you know, you're having to pay through the roof to get some decent accommodation and stuff. So everything's, you know, starting to pump up a bit. So maybe that's another reason as well. Interesting times ahead. Um, He also had a question in from Stephen Spriggs. And some people, I I thought this was an interesting question because some people are going to automatically go, this is a a dumb question and it's obviously from somebody who maybe is really new to the sport. (laughs) Just... (laughs) Okay. It's not a dumb question at all. Actually, no, no, it's a really a good, good question. question. Yeah. Um, I'm loving the podcast and currently listening to the past podcast on your app. With regards to indoor training, would w- would it be better to buy a spin bike or a turbo trainer? I do weekly rides outside but want to increase my speed. 
And, you know, the automatic response would be, why on earth would you buy a spin bike? That's a waste of time. Um, because- well, it's not a waste of time. It's a waste of time for a triathlete who's mm. – not a waste of time, but it's probably not best use of equipment for a triathlete. So, Stephen, I mean, the, the, the answer is you're definitely better off purchasing a turbo trainer of some description. But that sort of led me to think, well, I think there's real benefit in spin classes, though, um, yeah. for some Especially people. Especially one in Christchurch. Especially Les, Les Mills. Oh, my yeah. God, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jen comes, Jen, she yeah, comes. Yeah, she I've, was there on Monday morning. I smashed her. Yeah, I've told her maybe she shouldn't be going for that. She should be focusing on her running and but making she's sure she's she in shape for injured. that. Yeah, I know. She's struggling. With she the needs knee. to. She needs Calf. to do a little bit less. Okay. I know she doesn't listen to the show, so I can talk about whatever I like yeah, about exactly, it. Exactly, Jen. Um, I'm looking out for you, Jen. But so spin classes again, not super specific for for triathletes. The positioning's a bit different. The bikes are different. It's not quite the same. But the, not that I've done many, but the big advantage is for people that ha- don't have a great ability to really punish themselves on the bike, yeah. that can take you to a, a place where you can actually go and you can actually find some, some new levels of punishment which can, can really help you in the long term. So I think, Stephen, to answer your question, yeah, don't get a spin bike, get a turbo trainer, but a spin class may be a really good way for you to actually help increase your speed if you're somebody who struggles um, to push yourself on a trainer you use things like trainer road and things like that but ultimately some people need a group environment to really get themselves to that next level okay so I'm in New Zealand oh yeah and spin classes are great it, one thing that's really cool about spin classes if you've got a good instructor it, it's a real mental toughness workout because it's mm. just high intensity workouts it's, it's kind of philosophy um, <clears throat> high intensity uh, interval training so it's it's it is a great workout, um, but yeah, if you're going to get equipment, so Ironman New Zealand. If you're looking at Ironman New Zealand, you're paying early bird rate is eight fifteen. Mm-hmm. That's um, New Zealand dollars. New Zealand dollars. Uh, regular is eight fifty. They have a late rate, which is basically nine hundred. But then they have a race ready bundle. I'm not quite sure what that is. That's if you're, probably if you're doing seventy point three and Ironman, you can do a couple of you know you get a discount if you do two two well, races. thousand dollars. Yeah, so yes. So maybe yeah. no, I think it's more like when you turn up, you might. No, that, that would be entry for two races. So you oh, get really? 70.3 and the, uh, and the Ironman. Okay, great. They don't really tell you what that is on here. but um, So I think when I was doing Ironman, it was about 650. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, 2008 was the last one I did. Yeah, so. But I think they found their, their price point in when they tried to do that New York race a few years ago and all of a sudden yeah, it was no going to be like... 1,500, was Yeah, 1,500. Yeah. We said, bugger that. So I think they're, they're approaching that mark where it's going to be, yeah, a bit of a barrier to entry. Mm. But in saying that, passion things people pay more for. Really? You know, if you if you decide you're going to do an Ironman, you, the price obviously there is a point, mm. but I think most people are still going to pay 800 bucks. You know what we forgot to do? What did we forget to do? Way back early in the show, well, this will be on Facebook. We didn't do this week's hot topic. We talk, we talked about the Olympic medals. And oh, okay, all well, let's, let's do it. What do you want to do? Is Ironman killing short course racing? And if you're one of those people that just do does Ironman, it seems that Ironman's growing. Yep. Nobody wants to really do an Olympic and sprint distance races anymore. There's, so, not, there's not many on, is there? There's not, right? No, and again, we're just using the small Christchurch example. Elsewhere in the world, it might be uh, thriving. Is Ironman killing short course? And if you're one of those people that doesn't really do short courses or do them very infrequently, what do the short courses races need to do to, to get you racing? How can they sexy themselves up so you, they can be attractive to you, John? Hmm. Okay, that's a good question. There you go. We should have done that earlier. I should have. John, um, patrons. Righty-ho. Got a couple here. A couple of good ones today, I think. Okay, Brett Chan, I'll make this one up right now. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell that? I don't know, but because <laughs> <laughs> Chan, 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 I'm, 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 I'm a big stereotypical Asian. You must be good at Kung Fu. Wah! 
You get the spelling. You know that. Good luck in spelling it. You have to make it up yourself. <laughs> okay, in the powerhouse, Robertson. Oh, good times. Blast in the past. Although Rob, the past, we said, "Wah!" Douglas Speed Merchant Patton Jones. Nice. The reason for that is we've got this uh, WRC rally driver in New Zealand now called Hayden Patton. He's doing pretty good too. He's doing quite well. And so that's where I came with Speed Merchant. And then uh, Victor Machina Vorbiev. That actually works with his name. That's a first of all, that's a great name. It, it, Victor Volviev. Victor, I don't know. I know. Victor lives in Canada. I think he lives in Toronto. He sent through a picture. He sent through a picture. And um, Victor, you, you, you look that you look your name in terms of looks quite yep. Russian, or, yep. or you may be from that somewhere that part of the world. Machina. We've got a Machina Lounge at the Christchurch Casino. Yeah, it is. Machina, a, it's a Russian bar. It's, type a, of. it's a Russian name for sort of car or vehicle or truck or okay. something like that. So Machina, Machina. it sounds cool as it well. It does sound good. Yeah. And then the last one I've got is Eddie Magneto Farrell. Nice. You've Mag- interviewed him. Have I? Oh, big, was he going on Epic Camp? Epic Camp. No, oh, nice. Big, big Why Eddie? Magneto then? Magneto. Um, X-Men? But Eddie Farrell's got uh, a little, he's got a real estate business. If you're in, is he from, he's from Nashville, near Nashville. Okay, sell with him. Go to Eddie. Guarantee he has got the personality that will get you top dollar for top your house. Dollar. Top dollar. But he's also got his, uh, involved in a little coaching business called x3endurance.com. And they run some camps. They have Ryan Bolton and stuff along for their camps. Okay, and then I thought X3 Endurance. I thought X-Men. I thought X-Men characters. Went to Magneto. Magneto. Quite he controls metal. Yeah. yeah. It's Eddie. He's the bad dude, isn't he? Magneto, he is. Yeah. Eddie's a bad dude. Bad, mm-hmm. bad, Lee boy, bad. Okay, guys, if you want to be a patron... And you do, you know it. You just haven't got around to doing it. Yes. So just book out a time. When the kids are annoying you, just say, you know what, I've got to do that patron thing, honey. Look after the kids. And if you do that, then you're in a chance to come to Kona with us. So and then you, year, you can have a trip away. Yeah. With you know, the leave the kids at home. Yeah. Oh, it's a win, 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 John. Mm. So go to dub, dub, dub. Excuse me. <coughs> I am talk.me. The patrons page is right up front there. And uh, then you can get cool names like, Wah! That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> my favourite nickname of all time. Okay, uh, sponsors: Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our team of patrons: John, but babe, Joe, are you going for a run? Oh, you're coaching. Oh, God, he doesn't know the business. No. She's out there working. You She's out there putting cones out. Yep. He's just sitting on his John ass. John was giving me a hard time because you put the cones out in the morning, yeah. babe. Yeah, yeah, I know. He sits in the car, got the heater on, listening to talk back. Yeah, we're a sports radio. Get to see what's happening yeah. on Friday night. It's yeah. great. It's all about rubby. Did you watch your Did you watch your Blacks? I did. Oh, Australia beat us. Yeah, but we beat them in the netball. Yeah, that's all that matters. It was a bit of a cross because you, you, it was kind of like you'd expect the All Blacks to win and you'd expect the Australians to win the netball. Mm. I'm not, not even talking about cricket. I'm not stressed. <laughs> I'm not stressing about the rugby. No, neither actually. But still, let's well, talk about the cricket. Okay, Jombo, you're on drugs. Why are you on drugs? So I've had a very interesting week of experiences on my run. I saw Bevan on Saturday yeah, morning. Highlight of your week. It was my um, get it just easing back into the running again that day after a bit of an incident earlier in the week. What happened? So I'm, I'm running along and I've got, I've got I'm dropping off uh, uh, Mary Jones. You know Mary? I know Mary Jones. Yeah. I haven't seen Mary Jones unless she's a lovely lady. So she helps out with her time, our timing for our events. So Where was, what, 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 what was that for? For JD? my duathlon. So I was yeah. just dropping off some stuff to, to Mary and I thought oh, I might as well run there. I'm going to go for an hour and a half run. I'll run to Mary's place and then I'll run back to my place and run up in the hills. Wait, how did you drop her off then? Sorry? I've got pockets, Bevan. Oh, you dropped stuff off to her? I thought you dropped her off. No, no. (laughs) You got her on your back? Running along to Mary's place and run past the house. 
a couple of dogs out front. They just sit there, don't do anything. Mary's place is just a You're little bit. You're always a little bit apprehensive around a little dogs. Bit like apprehensive. Yeah. You give them the wide yeah, berth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Coming back, dog's still there. They're sort of on the footpath. And then they start going back into the house. One of them decides to turn around, runs at me, and bloody jumps on me and bites my leg. And these were these were like pit bull terrier type were you dogs. Scared? Yes, I was extremely scared, and I was wow. yelling and screaming. And I think I don't exactly know what quite I did. I, I think I kind of tried to hurdle him because when I knew he was coming, I think I tried to hurdle him. I think he must have jumped up, grabbed me on my calf. So he really got you. Oh man, my calf was real sore. Wow. So the dog so went down? No, I don't know. No, no. Did no, you complain? Yes, I did, but I, I couldn't give. I, I got the hell out of there so quick. I couldn't exactly verify which house it was. Oh. So it really got me good, uh, and then yeah, sort of hobbled home from there. I've got to say, I was thankful when when compression socks came out. I was the first to admit you look like a dick when you, you wear were compression socks. The biggest whinger. You had a rant about it, I think. You still look like a dick when you <laughs> compression socks. I will say that. I don't think you do. I think it's fashion now. Yeah, I, but I, I I do. I've got to admit, I do wear them because they're even big in the gym industry now. Yeah, you know. Anyway, I was pretty thankful I had them on because, um, yeah, it bit through, got a decent sort of cut in my leg. and Did you boot the dog? Uh, I was yelling and screaming, so I didn't get up. But was anyone around? No, not really. Whoa. And, and um, yeah, I think you just got to panic and just sort of, I've just oh, got yeah. to get the hell out of it's here. scary. When they're that type of dog, I was like, well, yeah. shit, I don't want to hang around and try to boot it. You know, then both of them might come at you and then, you, then you're yeah. screwed. So luckily they'd be bit me and then ran off. So it was only just one bite. Um, so you yeah. should ring the SPCA. Because what about kids? No, I've, run, no, I've run, the, run the council control. Oh, okay. that, that, no, definitely oh, done all that stuff. And it was relatively close to a school as well. Yeah. So that you was, see those stories on the news with kids. Oh, yeah. And they get their faces bitten off. Mm. And you're like, oh, that's just mm. horrible. So I hobbled to the doctor. Lady tetanus injection on antibiotics for a week. Two doctor's appointments. Calf was he must have really bit it because my and it was exactly the area where my calf injury is, <laughs> and it really it basically felt like I was back to square one. My calf was really sore for for a number of days. Couldn't go swing because of the big cut and stuff. Oh. So it was not pleasant. Oh, that sucks. And I'm not I'm not a big Facebooker at all, by any stretch. But I thought this warrants a Facebook post. Oh wait, so we're on Facebook? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm going and, on your Facebook right and now. I'm not a dog lover, and I never will be. And my my my. Dislike for dogs has gone to another level. Another level. It was, it was, I'm not a hater. Hate's a strong word. Although you are putting on Facebook about the flags. You, you I've shared that last night. I'm quite passionate about that. What, what, well. What's your thoughts on the flags? So, I mean, just for those people overseas, the, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, who is a very, very popular Prime Minister, probably the most popular Prime Minister you'd ever meet in, in, in our time, mm-hmm. ever in New Zealand's history. Um, he kind of knows he's so popular. He's decided that he's doing this thing where he's going. We're going to have a referendum around if we're going to change the New Zealand flag. It's costing like $25 million. Mm. And our economy is strong, but it's not the best time to be spending $25 million on a kind of a vanity project. And John, what's your thoughts? Definitely change it. Oh, so you want to change it? Absolutely. I think it's a waste of money. Uh, I think $25 million bucks. Yeah. There's a lot of people I, I agree with. I agree right with now. that. I, yeah, if, I, if I put money to one side, but I think we definitely should change the flag. I agree. Does it really cost that much? But it's all yeah. just postage and shit, isn't it? That's, that's what it costs. What's that? It's postage. You got to send out a referendum to everybody two no, or three well, times. No, like, they, 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 so they had these. Uh, so oh, it's New Zealand. Let's not go on. This is boring. <laughs> but I don't know. Like I, I want a new flag. I'd much rather spend twenty-five million bucks on feeding the kids who've got no food. But uh, yeah, but, don't disagree there. But I would like a new flag. Okay. So anyway, so you hate dogs and a new national anthem at the same time while we're at it. <laughs> <laughs> Our national anthem sucks. Condemnation. Yeah. Oh. 
Um, I've never been bitten by a dog lover. I've never been a dog lover. Got bitten by a bloody pit bull <laughs> type mutt today. There <laughs> we go. You went out, didn't you? I was getting plenty of support. Oh, that's good. Bevan, what's happening in your world? No dog bites? No. I once got bitten by a dog when I was a paper boy. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty scary. And mm. once a dog just about took my hand off because mm. I was putting the paper in. By the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty scary. <laughs> I wasn't even a wank. <laughs> Just my visual then didn't look too good. But um, it was pretty, it's scary, man. It oh, is yeah. scary. And I'm always, because I'm not. Uh, you know, if a dog even just puts any kind of bad energy towards me, I'm, I'm mm. you know, guard up straight away. Mm. Um, we, we, we had a bull mastiff. My dad had a bull mastiff and it didn't like me. Mm. And uh, and it would sometimes just go angry at me. And, you know, and this, it was 60 kg, mm. you know, and I was like, God, oh, jeepers, creepers. Um, what's my gosh? The band's got a new song. Okay. Do you want to hear it? Okay. Far away. Away. Uh, what I'll do is I'll put the whole song on the show, but wait a second. Uh, wait a second. Here we go. Oh, wait a second. Here, uh, here we go. Here we go, here we go. Okay, this is a, this is our new song. It's called Obsolete. Right. Hopefully that's not what's going to happen to your band song. No, <laughs> what do you reckon it sounds like right now? Do you know me and music? Put Oasis, I'm thinking. Yeah, no, I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. put Oasis. <laughs> Okay, he's a good singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take the lead work on the guitar. Let's see it. I'm fast forwarding a little bit. Oh, it's a great training song. Great training song. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on. Oh. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put it on at the end of the show so people can train to the end of it. Well, it know? sounds a bit Nirvana-y as well, maybe. Oh, we're, we're rock. Mm. We're, that's what we are. We're a bit okay. of rock. Nice. It's, uh, it's called Obsolete by the band called I See Tomorrow. Can be on um, not iTunes. Uh, yeah, iTunes. Yeah, no, iTunes we're going to record. We, 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 you've got, John, money and music's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> because we, we, like, we recorded that ourselves pretty basically. And it, it's, you know, like it's like a garage band recording. Um and it's okay, but if you want to do it properly, you, you, like it costs you 5000 bucks a song almost mm. to do it properly. So uh, or if we went to a recording studio, probably 10K, which is a low-level band we Come don't on. have, but that's okay. We're kind of writing our songs, and we've got, we've got about eight songs written, and we're going to get another few. We're going to be performing in about a month from now, doing our show. So it's all happening, me and Dave. Good. It's all happening. Nice. John, I, I did Okay, so here's my story of the week. So you got bitten by a dog. I did a speech at a rugby awards ceremony last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do quite a bit of public speaking right, right now, and I kind of—it's kind of the, the door seems to be opening up for me to do this kind of work, and it's really cool because I love it, and I get cool opportunities to go around the country and do talks for some really cool group of people. When I got asked to do this talk, I did think to myself, oh, I'm not sure if a rugby awards ceremony is the right fit for what I do, mm-hmm. because what I do is kind of kind of lighthearted, but also serious and kind of with messages within it, and. Uh, you know, it was a drinking environment <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. And and one of my talks that I tell about my drug experience, mm-hmm. well, it turns out I was talking to, to quite a few druggies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after my talk, and I tell of an LSD experience that kind of goes wrong and um, and how that kind of shifted my life. And one of one of the after the experience, one guy just came up to me and was complaining that I got it wrong, that LSD is just amazing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he was trying to convince me to get back on the LSD. Oh, and so... Oh. Uh, and, and so I don't know. I'd, it was probably I don't know if I really c- 
captured the audience as much right. as I could. But luckily, I did the clapping game at the end, and the clapping yeah. game to 200 people really rocks. And right. so I left on a high note. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily came the talk, but the final moment, and it's, it, you know, as long as you leave on a high note. Have you, have you got an acknowledgement for the clapping game? Where did it come from? It's actually, uh, it was something we used in Les Mills training tools. Mm. We used to do it in modules. They don't do it anymore, but it was just a fun thing we used to do. But Bring back a clapping game. They have to admit, with 200 people, and the music went, it was amping. It was, and everyone afterwards was just like buzzing. It was pretty cool. So that was a bit of a highlight. Nice. Anyway, John, that's my goss. We have Legends podcast coming oh, out some stage this week. We had Julie Moss on. Julie Moss mm. is the icon of the sport. It was the, the person who really probably influenced a lot of people getting into sport in the early mm. days with the, you know, who crawled to the finish in the 1982 mm. finish and got second, you know, in the last second of the race. In the interview, we talked to her about 1989. I'm not quite sure how she did. Um, yeah, I, 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 I try to keep them to an hour, and I, I, I always have questions going through my head, and I yeah. probably should have asked that. I'm pretty sure we can check the results. She didn't win. No, but I think she eased up quite a bit to be watching Mark win. Um, oh, so she was in the lead? No, no, she wasn't in the lead, but I think her race kind of flicked to being much more focused on on. Mark's it sounded race. like when she was talking about it, like she was in the lead. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was just confused because then I was trying to find the results and I've got, I couldn't even find her name in the results. I've got to say, that what I'm, very, I'm, I'm not going to be a spoiler at all, but that she's, she talks about a story in 1989 about a race that she did and man, that was impressive. Yeah. So it's a great interview, great stories. And, and she's a real good talker too. And you wanted to, I wanted to get beyond just the 82. Like we spent a lot of time talking about 82 in the yeah. race because that was, there's a lot to it, but there's also a lot more to, to the interview as well. So um, go I'll put that out today. So Legendsoftriathlon.com. Okay, check, check, check it out. Okay, guys. Uh, I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick John, you should get into some LSD. Apparently it's life-changing. <laughs> Long, slow distance. I'll go for a run today. That's right. Nice. <laughs>